Our lectionary queued up two of the coolest stories available to us in the New Testament and the Old Testament. They're about the power of God, this wonderful miracle of Jesus walking on the water, which is known so well. Elijah confronting God at the cave. These are what we call kind of archetypal stories of Christianity and of Judaism, and we lean into them. They're more than just stories. They have something for us, especially as we begin a new school year, especially as that pace starts to kick up, especially as we go to all the soccer practices and the theater rehearsals and everything that is about to happen in your family. We are going to take this day, kickoff Sunday, our reuniting Sunday, to talk about solitude and a place where we can refresh and rebuild in God so that as we go out into our lives, we're not just at the force of the wind. So this first story from Matthew, the walking on the water, we always do that. If you read this story, we'll go right into um, the disciples are in their boat, they're battling against the wind, and here comes Jesus walking on the water, right? And that's how the story begins. But if you back up and if you look at it, that's not where it begins. In fact, I want to go a step before the story we have today. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. That is no small feat from a few pieces of bread. And he's fed the 5,000. And I believe he was tired. And if you watch The Chosen, that's how they present it, that he's exhausted. And so in a sense, he made the disciples get into the boat. So there's a sense in which he commanded them. All that's about to follow is by his command. It is not accidental. So the disciples go off. But what is the first thing Jesus does? He goes up the mountain to pray. That's the beginning of this story. And I'm afraid if we don't see that, I'm afraid if we don't practice that, then we are not going to be well anchored for the lives that come our way. Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus goes apart to pray. And there's times even where his disciples are looking for him. And often Jesus is telling us how to be, but more often Jesus is showing us how to be, right? Jesus shows us how to go to a quiet place and pray. Jesus shows us how to not fear the power of the state as he's crucified. Jesus shows in his body what he wants us to do as his disciples. And the teachings are great and the words are great, but it's his actions that matter. And this is not some guilt trip, you know, do you have your 30 minutes in the morning to pray with God? You know, do you put him above everything else, which I think actually is important. But the question is, do you have those spaces in your day where the wind dies away? I think that's what happened to Peter when he got brave to step out on the water. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus and everything else faded away. The sea, the wind, the shouting of the disciples, he was fixed on Jesus and that enabled him to walk on the water towards his Lord and his Christ. And so what I'm asking you is, do you have that place of groundedness? Do you have that space where you can refill? In your family, do you talk about places in your home that are quiet places or times where you can be left alone? That language is not typical in extroverted homes. It's not always typical in our time. And in Dallas, we're people of action. We do things, and that's fantastic. But if we don't carve out some ways of being where we can refresh, we will get exhausted. 
And so Jesus prays, and in the early morning as the disciples are battling, he comes to them on the sea. We have that scene with Peter. Peter begins to sink. Jesus reaches out, brings him into the boat, and the wind stops. And what do the disciples do? They worship him. Now remember, up to this point, he was rabbi. He was teacher. He was respected one. And now it's Lord our God. So something has shifted for the disciples, and it will soon shift for the world. They have seen the Lord. Elijah, interestingly, is a very similar story. He has, just like Jesus fed the 5,000, 5, Elijah has just killed the prophets of Baal. Nice welcome back to school Sunday. I mean, it's actually pretty violent in here if you look at the Bible. But the idea was, for the prophets, there was nothing worse than getting distracted by false gods even if it meant that you had to kill the false prophets to have people focus on God. We can just set that aside, but that was very important in that time. How do you maintain that purity of Israel? So he has just done this battle with the prophets of Baal. He's exhausted. Jezebel's out to kill him, out to get him. What does he do? He goes into the wilderness. He can only get a day's journey before he's tired. In the middle of the night, an angel comes to him, feeds him bread and water twice, and out of that strength and out of that power, he goes 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, to the cave where he's now going to have this encounter. So before the wind and the fire and the earthquake and all of that profound experience of God, what happened? Silence. Solitude. Feeding. Getting nourished for what is to, to lie ahead. And in that power, he goes to the cave. He sleeps there that night. And then the voice of the Lord comes and says, I love it. What are you doing here, Elijah? You would kind of think that God knew. But God asks him because God wants to hear Elijah say it. And Elijah recites in a formulaic way what his purpose is, how he has been faithful, how the people of Israel have turned from God. It's almost a um, liturgy. He recites it. And then the voice says, wait here for God to pass by. And uh, I, I worked in a church in New York City, and we worked with the children's program. And for this particular story, we had the kids put it on in church. And so with the uh, wind, it was an organ. The organist was going. <laughs> and then it was the fire, and it was cymbals, right? All this noise and sound to give you this sense that there was a great tumult. And often we think God is in the fancy. God is in the powerful. God is in the extreme. But each time, what does it say? And God was not in the wind. And God was not in the earthquake. And God was not in the fire. Those elements of nature, those things of the earth, they did not contain God. And Elijah, because he has practiced solitude and the wilderness, where does he hear God? In sheer silence. Some versions say whisper. You can't hear the whisper of God if you're going 90 miles an hour at all times with no silence. And so in that sheer silence, in that whisper, Elijah perceived that God was in front of him. And he actually covered his eyes with his mantle, that whole thing. You cannot look upon God and live. And so he knows he's on holy ground and he places that mantle over his face. And then it's the same conversation as at the beginning. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I've been faithful to the Lord and Israel has forsaken God and I alone am left and they're trying to kill me just like the beginning. And so you would ask yourself, well, what's different from then until now? Everything. Elijah has changed. God has changed. And in this encounter, 
God now gives Elijah a new word about who to anoint, who to anoint as king of Aram, who to anoint as king of Israel, and who to anoint as his replacement. This is a big deal. God is basically saying, you have done your task. And now I want you to anoint Elisha to take your place. It's big news. But I don't think Elijah could have perceived it if he hadn't been still. When I was a young child, I lived in Mandeville, Louisiana, which is just across the lake from New Orleans. Many of you know it well. You know it now as a big kind of suburban area. Back then, it was a little town. And I don't know about you and your house. I'm talking to some of you young kids here, but also maybe you adults. Sometimes your house can get kind of loud. Mom and dad can get kind of loud. Your siblings can kind of get loud. And because it was the country and it was kind of rural, I would just leave my house and I would go next door to Miss Armstrong's house. And I need to set this up for you. If there was a safe place in town, it was Miss Armstrong's house. Old lady in a big mansion and she loved us to death. And every Sunday afternoon, we went to Miss Armstrong's house and we had tea. So I knew that land and we mowed her lawn for her. And there was a place at the front of the property dividing the street from her land that was a bamboo grove and it was a big one. At least for my child's eyes, it was enormous. I bet it was about this big. But it felt massive. And when I needed space alone, I would weave into that bamboo grove and at the center was a clearing. Sometimes my dog would come with me and I would sit in that bamboo grove and I really wouldn't do anything. I would sit, I would wonder, I would pray, I would sleep. I knew somehow in my body, unconsciously, that I needed that space alone, that I needed that place of solitude. And that's where I got filled up and refreshed to go back to that house that sometimes was still loud when I came back. You know how to find these places. You know in your day, if you can't go to your ranch or if you can't go to an island, in your day there are a hundred little places of solitude that you can fill up. I'm curious where they are for you. I'm curious if it's in the living room before everyone else has woken up. Or maybe it's in the car as you're driving to work and you choose not to turn on the radio. Or maybe it's at school in an empty classroom or that desk in the back of the library your back porch before you go to bed. I don't know what it is for you, but the, there are these places in microwaves where you can fill up and be refreshed and strengthened for life, which is hard, and to perceive God. Because both Jesus and Elijah, they needed that time to be able to make sure that they could hear the word of God, that they could see God's face, so that when they delivered a word or did a thing, it came from God, not from ego, not from the world. And that's what I'm challenging you. It is so easy to get shaped by the wind and the fire and the earthquake of our lives. Where is that place or those places where in even micro ways you can remember? Not me, but thee, O oh God. Save me. Those little prayers. Heal me. Protect me. You do those in a string of pearls through your day and through your week and through your months and you too will be like Jesus so well balanced between heaven and earth that you can walk on the water. That's my take. Perfectly embodied heaven and earth and was able to glide right on the surface. What would that look like if we lived our lives in a way where we were fed by heaven but rooted to the earth? Or Elijah, who didn't mind the wilderness, who didn't mind the sheer silence. 
I invite you into that place where God is waiting for you to encourage you, to feed you, to give you drink, and to give you a word that your family and your church and your school may need. Amen.